What the hell's the matter with these guys? What is the matter with them? I mean, what are they doing? It's totally irresponsible. Are you surprised, Joe? Are you surprised? Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast that's heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Also in Red Bluff and Redding, California, on KFOI, Round Mountains, KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's Queso, and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. In Rochester, New York on WRFZ. Down in New Orleans on WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ. Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ. In Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR. In Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the internets on the Progressive Voices channel. Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Deprogrammed Radio. Verdant Square Radio and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker. All-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today with 64 days until Inauguration Day, 49 days until Election Day in Georgia's two U.S. Senate runoffs, to determine control of the U.S. Senate, that is on January 5, just 27 days until the Electoral College casts its vote uh, to finalize election 2020 on December 14, and 20 days now until the statutory safe harbor deadline set by Congress for resolving election disputes for the Electoral College. That has to be done by December 8. Welcome to the broadcast. All right, uh, before we get to some of the latest updates from election land, actually, before I even get to what I was uh, planning here, this just in Desi Doyen, Iowa Senator Chuck Grassley, the longest serving GOP senator and third in line of presidential succession, who is 87 years old, says he has tested positive for the coronavirus. Oh, dear. Uh, Yes, the uh, Republican senator uh, joins uh, Congressman, also 87-year-old Congressman Don Young of Alaska, who just about two days ago announced that he, too, tested positive for the virus. So we wish them both well, and we... uh, I encourage them to wear masks and encourage everyone they know to wear masks. Yeah, and I was going to say we continue to be saddened by the jackasses who are running our country, encouraging 87-year-olds like Don Young and Chuck Grassley uh, to get sick and uh, face uh, possible death unnecessarily. 
Anyway, uh, as I started to say, uh, before we get to the latest from the uh, electoral madness that continues today, yes, election 2020 is still going on in a number of ways in Georgia and Pennsylvania, maybe even Wisconsin, among other states, where your deranged, still President Donald Trump just can't seem to let it go. Uh, Let's start with some good news, bad news stories here today on both the incoming Biden administration and the definitely outgoing, whether he admits it out loud or not, Trump administration. Uh, And whether we like to recognize it or not, uh, for another 64 days, as Trump becomes increasingly unhinged and seeking both retribution and distraction before he is booted from office, Remember, he still has his finger on the nuclear button, and that's a point of very serious concern for the next 64 days still, at least in my opinion, Um, as highlighted last night by The New York Times. They report President Trump asked senior advisors in an Oval Office meeting last Thursday whether he had options to take action against Iran's main nuclear site in the coming weeks. The meeting occurred a day after international inspectors reported a significant increase in the country's stockpile of nuclear material for current and former U.S. officials, told The New York Times on Monday. Well, so why was there an increase in the country's stockpile of nuclear material? Oh, yeah, because Donald Trump pulled the U.S. out of the treaty that had all but eliminated their nuclear stockpile and prevented them from building it back up because, as Trump told us at the time, it was the worst deal ever for the U.S. Of course, it wasn't. It was an imperfect but otherwise very good deal for the U.S. and for the entire world. But its biggest flaw, unfortunately, was that the landmark six-party treaty was struck under the Obama administration. So, Desi Doyen, it had to go. Sure. Can't have that. (laughs) Right. Uh, And, of course, we all had to pretend that it was the worst deal ever for the United States. Now, this is all uh, some of the bad news. Uh, The good news is that, apparently, there are still enough Human human adults, I guess we can call them, uh, in the top echelons of the administration, at least occasionally, that they were apparently able to talk Trump out of this idiocy of starting a war with Iran just before he will be forced out of office. According to The Times, a range of senior advisors dissuaded the president from moving ahead with a military strike. The advisors, including Vice President Pence, Secretary of State Pompeo, Some guy named Christopher Miller, who is apparently the acting defense secretary at this time, and General Mark Milley, the chair of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, they all warned that a strike against Iran's facilities could easily escalate into a broader conflict in the last weeks of Mr. Trump's presidency. While it's somewhat surprising that that had to be explained to him, Uh, Apparently they did, and apparently it helped him back off. Any strike, they uh, noted, whether by missile or cyber, would almost certainly be focused on Natanz, where the International Atomic Energy Agency reported on Wednesday of last week that Iran's uranium stockpile was now 12 times uh, larger than permitted under the nuclear accord 
the accord that Trump abandoned in 2018. So, of course, it is larger. We broke the treaty, so they stopped recognizing it. After Pompeo and Milley described the potential risks of military escalation, officials left the meeting believing a missile attack inside Iran was off the table, according to administration officials with knowledge of the meeting. They believe it is off the table, whether it is or not at this point. Uh, the uh, Times notes that Trump might still be looking at ways to strike Iranian assets and allies, including militias in Iraq, according to the officials. So, yes, that would be an attack on Iraqis, by the way, if he attacked militias in Iraq that are said to be supported by Iran. An attack on Iraq uh, on Iraqis uh, with whom I should mention we are supposedly allies. And no, Iraq is not in favor of the U.S. killing Iraqis for some reason. The story also notes that diplomats say Prime Minister Mustafa al-Kadima Kadimi of Iraq would almost certainly object to the killing of Iraqis, even Iranian-backed militiamen, on Iraqi soil by U.S. forces who already face demands to leave. The episode underscored how Trump will uh, still face an array of global threats in his final weeks in office. A strike on Iran may not uh, play well to his base, the paper reports, which is largely opposed to a deeper American conflict in the Middle East. Uh, I would add, no, they are not, New York Times. They are pretending to be against it because Donald Trump was pretending to be against it. And yes, as soon as Trump stops pretending to be, so will his uh, knucklehead base. Uh, surely you know this right by now, don't you, New York Times? Seriously? I guess they don't. But the paper notes that it could poison relations with Tehran. <laughs> you think? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would add further poison relations with Iran. Uh, but that, they say, would make it then much harder for President-elect Joe Biden to revive the 2015 Iran nuclear accord as he has promised to do. But whether he is able to do it or not, and I hope that he is, I suspect it'll come at a pretty big price at this point since we, the U.S., were the ones who broke the treaty in the first place. So, yes, Iran would be within its rights to ask for much, much more in any new deal because... You know, thanks, Donald Trump. You suck at the art of the deal, dude. Just about as hard as you suck at everything else that you touch. Back to the paper here. Since uh, Trump dismissed Defense Secretary Mark Esper and other top Pentagon aides last week, Defense Department and other national security officials have privately expressed worries that the president might initiate operations, whether overt or secret, against Iran or other adversaries at the end of his term. The report from the IAEA concluded that Iran now has a stockpile of um, over 5,385 pounds of low-enriched low enriched uranium. That would be enough to produce about two nuclear weapons. Thanks, Donald. Uh, according to an analysis of the report, uh, but it would require several months of additional processing in order to enrich the low enriched uranium up to bomb grade material, meaning that Iran would not be close to a bomb until late spring at the earliest, which would, uh, in theory, be well after Donald Trump would have left office. 
While the amount is concerning, it is still far below the amount of fuel that Iran possessed before Barack Obama reached a nuclear accord with Tehran in July of 2015. Late that year, under the terms of the agreement, Iran shipped about 97% of its fuel uh, stockpile to Russia. That was about 25,000 pounds, living with less than it would need to build even one single weapon. Which, uh, boy, doesn't that sound like a terrible deal? (laughs) Nice going, Donald. No wonder you scrapped it. To allow them to rebuild, you jackass. Uh, Iran stuck to those limits, by the way, even after Trump scrapped our participation in the accord in 2018 and and he reimposed sanctions, uh, which we got nothing out of. The Iranians began to slowly edge out of the limits, however, last year, declaring that if Trump felt free to violate its terms, they would continue Uh, They would not continue to abide by them. But the Iranians have hardly raced to produce new material. Their advances have been slow and steady, and they have denied seeking to build any weapons. U.S. officials, meanwhile, are reportedly especially nervous about the January 3rd anniversary. Not to make you more nervous, especially two days before that election in Georgia, but uh, January 3 is the anniversary of the U.S missile strike that killed Major General Qasim Soleimani, the commander of Iran's elite Quds Force. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That happened. That happened at uh, Trump's orders, uh, along with the killing of the Iraqi leader of the Iranian-backed militia. Those are deaths that Iranian leaders regularly insist they have not yet avenged. So the good news is that uh, Trump is, well, heading out. The bad news is that he's still in... Uh, and increasingly uh, dangerously in his last desperate days in office. But the additional good news I'm going to take here is that there are still at least some people, at least for now, who seem to be able to prevent him from launching World War III on the way out the door. That is good news. See? Told you I had good news today. As to the good news, bad news story regarding our incoming president, Joe Biden... Uh, As luck would have it, yesterday on this program, during my interview with Nils Gilman of the Transition Integrity Project, uh, which you can download in full for free at bradblog.com, thanks to those of you kind enough to stop by bradblog.com slash donate to make all of our work free for all with your donations. Uh, I asked Dr. Gilman about the importance of a Biden administration not doing what the Trump, I'm sorry, what the Obama administration had done after they took power in the wake of the similarly criminal George W. Bush administration, when the Obama team decided to look forward, not back, on the matter of accountability for the criminal administration that they were replacing at the time. Here's a snippet from yesterday's conversation on that point with Nils Gilman. This drove me crazy when Barack Obama came in. Do you see any encouraging signs on that front so far from the the Biden transition that his administration intends to actually take action on accountability rather than the, you know, the don't look back, look forward position that we saw from the Obama administration uh, when they took uh, over after George W. Bush. By the way, I've argued that had they not done that, we might not have had a Donald Trump at this point. Had there been some accountability uh, the last time Democrats took over from Republicans? 
there hasn't been any indication whatsoever um, from Biden on this topic. I mean, the one thing he's said about it is that he's going to let whoever is the attorney general make that decision. So he's trying to reestablish the norm that the attorney general has is independent of the president, is not the attorney of the president, and has decision rights over which kinds of cases to pursue. Um, but just knowing who Joe Biden is, I don't see him as the kind of guy who's going to want to spend a lot of time looking backward. Um, that could change, though, right? I mean, if if the Republicans are completely obstructing anything he's able to do, mm-hmm. which I think is also going to be a very likely circumstance, I mean, especially if if uh, if McConnell continues to be a majority leader in the Senate, he's not going to, you know, he may not even allow Biden to you know, seat most of his cabinet officers. Yeah. He's certainly not going to pass any legislation. And so under those circumstances, there won't be anything to do in the present, and he may start looking backward. <laughs> Which would what be fine by me. <laughs> yeah. uh, anyway, that was yesterday. Uh, this morning, according to NBC News, we do have now an indication from Biden on his preferences uh, in this regard, and they do largely line up for good and bad with uh, Nils, Gil- uh, Nils Gilman's assessments there. According to NBC, President-elect Joe Biden has privately told advisors that he doesn't want his presidency to be consumed by investigations of his predecessor. According to five people familiar with the discussions, despite pressure from some Democrats who want inquiries, into President Donald Trump, his policies, and members of his administration. Biden has raised concerns that investigations would further divide a country that he is trying to unite and risk making every day of his presidency about Trump, according to the sources who spoke on background to offer details of private conversations. Well, that sounds a lot to me like looking forward, not back. Uh, another Biden advisor said he's going to be uh, more oriented toward fixing the problems and moving forward than prosecuting them. One advisor said he has made clear that he just wants to move, quote, just wants to move on. Which, of course, means the door is left wide open for criminals to continue criming and returning to office someday to do it again with the power of the presidency, just as Donald Trump did, because nobody was ever held accountable for some of the very same crimes carried out by the Bush administration. So there's the bad news. As to the good news part of this story, NBC reports any decisions by Biden's Justice Department regarding Trump, his staff, his associates, his business or his policies would not affect investigations by state officials, including Manhattan District Attorney Cyrus Vance Jr., who has fought to obtain Trump's tax returns in his criminal investigation of Donald Trump, which could, yes, land Trump and his family and his associates in jail under state law, for which a presidential pardon, even if he is allowed, by the way, to pardon himself, uh, that would not indemnify him under uh, to state law. As uh, Nils Gilman also pointed out, Trump may wind up in Rikers Island no matter how he tries to clear himself with a federal pardon. You're smiling when I say Trump could end up in yeah. Rikers Island, aren't you, Ted? <laughs> That's a jail for people who aren't yeah. familiar with oh, New York. <laughs> yeah, I think everyone. Anyway, um, no matter how much the Biden administration decides to avoid prosecution of Trump, and other Trump administration officials and associates at the federal level, uh, none of that would be affected by, uh, you know, state and local prosecutors. 
Uh, and, and there's a bit more good-ish news here as I read it, at least as I'm choosing to read it uh, today <laughs> uh, from this NBC piece. As Biden tries to balance his own inclinations with pressures from within his party, his advisors stress that he is seeking to reset the dynamic between the White House and the Justice Department from what it has been under Trump. Biden wants his Justice Department to function independently from the White House, according to aides. An advisor said Biden's overarching view is that we need to move the country forward. But the most important thing on this is that he will not interfere with the Justice Department and not politicize his Justice Department. In other words, Biden is not going to tell federal law enforcement officials whom or what to investigate or not to investigate, which is good. He should not. He should no more order his DOJ to bring these uh, investigations and prosecutions than he should order them to not do so. Unfortunately, even without a direct order, it's easy for a president to make his wishes sort of known to the prosecutors, his preferences. So I can only hope that those prosecutors ignore him and that they do the right thing by enforcing the rule of law, period, no matter what uh, political objectives Joe Biden may have. A third Biden advisor said that when it comes to any Trump-related investigations, the expectation is, quote, it's going to be very situational and depending on the merits. Broadly, Biden's priorities will be the economy, the coronavirus, climate change, and race relations, not looking back at the Trump administration, said the advisor. Well, that's fine. So long as you let your Justice Department do what they are supposed to do, which to, is to enforce justice for all. Presidents generally set the tone for what issues they believe should be priorities for the DOJ, says NBC, and questions about Trump-related probes or retrospective reviews are expected to intensify as Biden gets closer to taking office. One advisor said he can set a tone about what he thinks should be done, but he's not going to be a president who directs the Justice Department one way or the other. So there's another good-ish reason, as far as I'm concerned, to, you know, to not see this in too dark uh, a light, at least, at least not, not yet. yet. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, here's another good-ish reason for Biden to uh, be sending out this message, by the way, right now, whether he means any of it or not. Biden's team is reluctant to send any signal to the Trump administration officials that the DOJ wouldn't look into their actions, given that there are still nine weeks left until the inauguration. Plenty of time for some more criming. Correct. The person said, while they're not looking for broad criminal indictments, they don't want to make they 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 don't they do want to make sure that people don't think there are no ramifications for any of their actions between now and the new presidency. Emphasizing an arm's length approach to the DOJ could give Biden cover from criticism from his supporters about any lack of investigations into Trump, his policies or his staff. Democrats have sharply criticized Trump's direct influence on DOJ investigations, including his call for Biden and former uh, President Barack Obama to be prosecuted over allegations of unspecified crimes. Pledging as Biden has not to interfere with federal investigations would be welcomed by at least some of his supporters. We will see. 
It's going to be difficult for him to avoid the issue altogether, however, given the expected calls for investigation into an array of issues involving uh, Trump. Biden advi- One Biden advisor said uh, that there is also a strong school of thought that believes the law is the law. So uh, this could set Biden on a collision course with some of his own supporters who, yes, are eager for a wholesale examination of the Trump presidency. Biden said many times during the campaign he would leave any decision to uh, prosecute Trump up to his attorney general. Okay, then. So it all comes down to who Biden names as his attorney general and how courageous they are going to be in enforcing the law if, in fact, As uh, Biden uh, has said, the law is the law. One of the reasons Biden has reportedly given aides for his disinclination to see his DOJ investigate Trump is that he believes such investigations would alienate the more than 73 million Americans who voted for Donald Trump, according to the people familiar with the discussions. Well, we would hate to do that. Some Democrats, however, have said Biden should be prioritizing the concerns of his supporters as opposed to those of his detractors. Well, there's a thought. There you go. I wonder which one Biden will choose. The delicate balance of answering to his own supporters and uniting the country is in part why Biden recognizes that his nominee for attorney general is, quote, going to be one of the most consequential decisions He is going to make, according to an advisor. Well, we will have plenty of time uh, to be hating on Biden, I suspect, in the future. Let's get back to hating on Trump uh, (laughs) already in progress, uh, which, by the way, is getting uh, more amusing by the day as his pretend attempts at election integrity appear to be going nowhere very fast. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back with the latest in crybaby Trump's desperate attempt to try and uh, steal the election from Joe Biden come hell or high water. And by the way, speaking of high water, Desi Doyen will be here later on with her uh, latest Green News report. That is coming up in a bit with too much high water. Uh, Thanks again to the failure of Trump to get anything right during his four years as president, from screwing up the Iran agreement to screwing up the Paris Climate Agreement on climate change uh, and his latest, greatest deadly denialism, ignoring a pandemic which is absolutely blowing up around the country. Uh, And about to get much worse, by the way, as uh, disinformed Republicans continue to kill themselves and everybody else around them by ignoring advice from health officials as they prepare to hold super spreader Thanksgiving dinners in a week or so that will kill thousands of more Americans by Christmas. Thankfully, Trump has made it, you know, legal to say Merry Christmas again. Though I wonder if people say that, you know, during holiday times when attending funerals. Here was Biden, by the way, yesterday. Let me just play this uh, on, on this point, at least. Uh, he's Biden is taking a firm stand on the administration's refusal to work with the transition team, uh, even on the covid crisis and the president's uh, favorite psychotic non-epidemiologist, uh, Scott Atlas, this guy on 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 his covid task force uh, who told folks in Michigan, I think it was yesterday, In Michigan, where the governor faced a scheme to kidnap her by right wingers over her attempts to keep Michiganders safe 
uh, from dying of the disease. Uh, Scott Atlas uh, told them to rise up against her yesterday. Here was Joe Biden responding to that. One of the leaders in this area has been the Republican governor in Ohio. Um, and uh, in addition to the folks who have already been leading, like the governor of, of Michigan, I mean, you know, the idea that the president's now existing, remaining uh, advisor on COVID is saying that uh, the, they should resist. What the hell's the matter with these guys? What is the matter with them? Resist. You know, every major individual of any consequence in the health field is saying we can save, we can save 100,000 lives just between now and January 21st by wearing these masks. It's going to take a while for the vaccine to be able to be available, distributed, and get to people. We're talking about 350 to 400,000 people dying? I mean, what are they doing? It's totally irresponsible. Irresponsible. Yeah, I don't know what's wrong with him, Joe. Someone really ought to hold him accountable for it, don't you think? Quick break, and we're back with more. I'm Brad Friedman. You are listening to The Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At The Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Uh-huh. You can't count on me like one, two, three. I'll be there. Yeah. And I'm I will be here I for you. It, Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. We will be here to the bloody end the bloody, of election end. 2020. The endless election 2020. Yes, but it continues. Donald Trump's campaign now has until 6 p.m. Eastern time on Wednesday to pay $7.9 million if they want to pursue a recount of the state's 3.2 million ballots. Uh, as Trump announced, he was definitely going to do about two weeks ago. Of course, that was before anybody likely told him that he would have to pay for it. The Wisconsin Election Commission announced the recount cost on Monday after receiving estimates from all 72 of the state's counties. That is about that cost. Seven point nine million is about four times the cost of what the 2016 presidential recount in Wisconsin had cost as carried out then by Green Party presidential candidate Jill Stein, which under state law allows municipalities to decide if they want to hand count ballots as they should or whether they simply wish to run the same hand marked paper ballots back through computer tabulators that counted them the first time either correctly or incorrectly nobody knows unless there is a hand count unfortunately in 2016 when trump reportedly won the state by just about 20,000 votes the largest municipalities in the state and the most democratic leaning ones they opted to just do a second computer scan so they got pretty much the same results they did the first time. And I suspect that will happen again if the Trump campaign coughs up the money this time. 
since they're going to have to pay for it, despite being reportedly so strapped for cash that they are using donations supposedly earmarked for their legal efforts to help pay off their campaign debt because, you know, they're Republicans and they're fiscally responsible. They would never deficit spend. They would never (laughs) spend more money than they actually have, right? The 2016 count cost Stein's campaign around $2 million back then compared to the 7.9 that Trump's going to have to part with this time for a count that is unlikely to change much of the 20,000 vote deficit that Trump now faces in the state. Almost the exact same deficit as last time, but the other way around with him losing. Megan Wolf, Wisconsin's chief election official, said the higher bill is due to uh, partly due to the uh, coronavirus protocols that need to be followed, including the, quote, need for larger spaces to permit public observation and social distancing. Huh. Too bad Trump did such a crappy job of handling that pandemic. If nothing else, never mind the quarter million Americans who uh, have died so far. But it would also have saved him money on the Wisconsin recount. I guess we should have let him know that a few months ago. Maybe he would have taken action. Uh, If the uh, Trump camp, if they request the recount and uh, if they pay the costs up front as required. By the way, do you think he will, Des? (laughs) I have no idea. Yeah. All right. Well, if he does all of that, a recount would begin Thursday. It must then be completed by December 1. The law in Wisconsin requires the election to be certified by the Bipartisan Commission on December 1. Unofficial results, of course, show that Biden beat Trump by 20,470 votes. That's about 0.62% of the state's vote. And the state law requires a campaign requesting a recount to pay for it if the margin is greater than 025 So, uh, yeah, there you go. Trump has uh, so far not acknowledged that he has lost the state to Biden, even though he appears to have lost by almost the exact same number that he is said to have defeated Hillary Clinton by in 2020, when ironically he called his victory an unbelievable record landslide like no one has ever seen with the exact same 306 electoral votes that Joe Biden appears set to receive this year. And, by the way, shamefully, if not surprisingly, Wisconsin state Republicans have also largely followed Trump's lead in refusing to say that Biden uh, is the president-elect. The Wisconsin State Journal last week had asked every elected Republican state legislator, every single one, if Biden is the president-elect, and only one, one one who is retiring, said that Biden won the election. In another sort of recount-related news, the sort of recount happening right now in Georgia, which I hope to cover in a bit more detail on tomorrow's broadcast, which is the deadline day for this quasi-audit, quasi-recount, quasi-recanvas but wholly meaningless exercise, placing a whole lot of uh, Georgians in harm's way during a pandemic uh, for this exercise with no official legal meaning. We'll talk 
a little bit more about this uh, tomorrow, but it was imposed by the Republican Secretary of State, Brad Raffensperger, my good friend, in his (laughs) desperate yet thankless attempt to suck up to Trump and his fellow Republicans who are calling for his resignation anyway because Donald Trump lost the state. Amid all of this, dumb South Carolina Senator Lindsey Graham appears to have stepped in it himself as he was apparently attempting to get Raffensperger to toss out perfectly legal ballots. Last night, the Washington Post reported on an interview that they did with Georgia's woeful yet embattled Republican Secretary of State, who said he spoke on Friday to Republican Senate Judiciary Chair Lindsey Graham. In their conversation, the Post reports, Graham questioned Raffensperger about the state's ballot signature matching law and whether political bias could have prompted poll workers to accept ballots with non-matching signatures. According to Raffensperger, though I should note that, uh, and this could be important, Apparently, there were witnesses to this conversation between Raffensperger and Lindsey Graham. So it's not just he said, she said. Graham uh, also, according to Raffensperger, asked him whether he had the power to toss all mail ballots in counties that were found to have higher rates of non-matching signatures. In other words, Graham was asking about, hey, can we toss out all ballots, legally cast ballots in counties where there were uh, where there was a higher rate of, of ballots where signatures may or may not have uh, matched with the signatures on file and where officials may or may not have notified voters about it so that they could come in and cure the problem by saying, yeah, that's my damn signature. Count my ballot, damn it. Graham, according to uh, Raffensperger, was asking about tossing all of the mail ballots in those counties based on questions about some potentially illegal ballots. Raffensperger said he was stunned that Graham appeared to suggest that he find a way to toss legally cast ballots. The Post reports absent court intervention. Raffensperger does not have the power to do even what Graham is suggesting as counties, counties, not the secretary of state, administer elections in Georgia. Raffensperger said it sure looked like he was wanting to go down that road. Now, Graham denied to the Post that he encouraged Raffensperger to discard ballots, saying he was only investigating signature matching rules. Oh, I was just asking questions. That's his <laughs> no, southern accent. I know. <laughs> I like your uh, Graham invitation there. By the way, he could have just, you know, looked up the laws online. And as noted here, there were witnesses to this conversation who may tell a different story than Graham. In any event, as the Post's conservative blogger Jennifer Rubin, Rubin points out today, this raises questions why Graham would need to know this information and uh, decide directly to contact Raffensperger about it, who is already under death threats, by the way, since the Republicans started return, uh, turning on their own Republican secretary of state. He's been uh, subject to baseless accusations of misconduct by those fellow Republicans. Now, there is plenty to accuse Raffensperger of, as anyone who listens to this show knows, as we have done and will continue to do on this program. It's that the Republicans who are now critical of him aren't accusing him of those things. 
you know, like selecting a $100 million-plus electronic voting system that is completely unverifiable and then forcing every county in the state to use it, whether they wanted to use hand-marked paper ballots instead, as advised by all legitimate cybersecurity and voting systems experts. Anyway, back to Graham. Rubin argues that federal and or state law enforcement should get to the bottom of what happened here, requiring both parties to the conversation and any witnesses to preserve evidence. Stephen Vladek, an election law professor at the University of Texas, told Rubin, quote, at least as relayed in the Post story, Senator Graham appears to have been attempting to convince the secretary to alter the valid results of Georgia's election in a manner that may run afoul of numerous provisions of Georgia election law. He adds, at the very least, it's a serious matter that might warrant further investigation and that is grossly unbecoming of any United States senator, let alone the chair of the Senate Judiciary Committee. Depending on the facts, and we do not definitively know what occurred, writes Rubin, any number of laws might be implicated. She cites a whole bunch of both federal and state laws with penalties for willfully subjecting any person to conspire to violate voting rights or to falsify a vote count or to intentionally interfere with, hinder or attempt to interfere with any other person in the performance of their duty to follow the law in administrating elections. She writes that the alleged behavior is serious, unseemly, and raises legitimate questions whether or not any of those those laws that she points out were broken need to be investigated, but Graham's actions have called into question his willingness to uphold the sanctity of elections. She goes on to quote Noah Bookbinder, the executive director of Crew, the Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington, uh, he says, for the chairman of the Senate committee charged with oversight of our legal system to have reportedly suggested that an election official toss out large numbers of legal ballots from American voters is appalling. Not only is it wrong for Senator Graham to apparently contemplate illegal behavior, but his suggestion undermines the integrity of our elections and the faith of the American people in our democracy. He alleges under the guise of rooting out our uh, rooting out election fraud, it looks like Graham is suggesting committing election fraud. And that uh, went on to call for Senator Graham to step down from his chairmanship Immediately. Do you think he'll do that, Des? <laughs> no, I don't think he'll do okay. that. Democrats, including uh, their uh, election lawyer, Mark Elias, uh, who has batted down as of yesterday, some 24 uh, out of 25 of Trump's serial baseless lawsuits. He's called for an ethics investigation here. And I spoke with constitutional attorney and election law expert John Boniface uh, earlier today from Free Speech for People. Uh, he, too, tells me that Graham should be held accountable for what he described as, quote, criminal conduct, suggesting to me that Graham appears to have been interfering with the vote counting process in violation of the Due Process Clause and the Voting Rights Act. But he noted that bringing such a case would take enough time that a court would likely find it to be moot if his organization did it uh, after the election is already over and certified and there's a new president sworn in. On the other hand... He says, 
The matter would not be moot under a new DOJ next year. Whether they have the backbone to do that investigation, he says, is another question about which I would refer to uh, refer you to our previous segment on today's show regarding that. But, hey, Donald Trump and his crooked uh, attorney general, Bill Barr, they've been claiming that they wanted to bring accountability for election interference and attempted election fraud. So, yes, boys, please have it your friend, Lindsey Graham. No reason to leave this for the next administration. Get started. All right. Laws only apply to Democrats, at least for the next 64 days. My bad. In other Georgia-related news, uh, and as noted, I hope to get into more details on their ongoing pretend audit-slash-recount-slash-recanvas tomorrow, some legitimate election count-related news did come out of the effort yesterday, though it will also have no effect in overturning the election that Donald Trump appears to have narrowly lost in the Peach State. During the uh, audit slash recount slash recanvas in Georgia, more than 2,600 ballots were found in the Republican-leaning Floyd County that had not originally been tallied, which likely helped Trump, which will likely help uh, Trump reduce his 14,000 vote deficit to Joe Biden. According to Gabriel Sterling in the Secretary of State's office last night, the unofficial breakdown of those ballots that were not originally uploaded in Floyd are 1,643 votes for Trump, 865 for Biden, 16 for the Libertarian candidate, Joe Jorgensen, and that amounts uh, to a 778-vote pickup for Donald Trump. That will be reflected in the certified results, according to Sterling. Apparently, the problem occurred because county election officials did not upload votes from a memory card in a ballot scanning machine. Uh, Sterling called it an amazing blunder. The previously uncounted votes were cast during in-person early voting at the Floyd County Administration Building, According to Luke Martin, who's the chair of the Floyd County Republican Party, over half of 5,000 computer-marked paper ballots printed out from the county's touchscreen voting systems were not included in the initial tally, according to Martin. Uh, he said it's very concerning, but this doesn't appear to be a widespread issue. He says he's glad the audit revealed it and that it is important that all votes are counted. The uncounted ballots in Floyd is the most significant issue apparently found during this so-called recount. Secretary of State has said that other counties' recounted figures closely match with their original numbers. But as, Rad as uh, Raffensperger uh, has not been releasing those numbers throughout this quasi-recount, quasi-audit. It's pretty much impossible for anybody to know if that is actually true. So, yeah, he's screwing this up as well. Uh, Martin said that these ballots rectify a previous discrepancy that they had found between the number of people who had checked in to vote early and the number of ballots that were actually counted in the Republican-leaning Floyd County in northwest uh, Georgia. Moving quickly uh, to uh, Pennsylvania here, where we also uh, have some breaking news this afternoon. Uh, yesterday, I ran out of time, but I hope to explain the Trump's and I'm running out of time again. But the uh, <laughs> Trump's uh, campaign silly case in Pennsylvania on Sunday night, they rewrote 
their legal complaint to leave out more than 680,000 votes that they had previously been challenging, trying to get those tossed on some ridiculous basis or another in the state where Trump appears to have lost by more than 73,000 votes. So uh, what was left in that revised suit? Well, what they were challenging were Democratic heavy counties that they say violated the law by identifying mail-in ballots before Election Day with defects such as missing a secrecy envelope or lacking a voter signature on the envelope. They would contact those voters so that they could come in and fix it to ensure that the vote would count. This is a process called curing. But the uh, lawsuit is contending that Democratic-run counties allowed voters to do that, while Republican counties did not. They did not provide a notice and a cure process, disenfranchising many, according to the lawsuit. A lawyer for the DNC said it's unclear how many votes that we're talking about, but he said it's a minimal number, certainly fewer than the 73,000 vote margin that separates Biden and Trump. And he says, in any event, they ought to be suing the Republican counties for not allowing their voters to cure ballots. There's no provision in the state law that prevents it. And amid all of this, pretty much Trump's entire legal team in Pennsylvania announced they were leaving the case leaving behind just one guy who on Monday asked the judge there for more time before appearing at an emergency hearing that was scheduled for Tuesday since all the other lawyers left. But the judge denied that request, requiring this guy to appear on Tuesday for this hearing. But don't worry, Donald Trump sent help because he only hires the best people. Straight from the Four Seasons Total Landscaping Company in beautiful (laughs) suburban Philadelphia, right next door to the adult bookstore and across the street from the crematorium. Ahead of Tuesday afternoon's crucial hearing, former New York City Mayor Rudy Giuliani was seeking at the last minute to help represent Trump in this uh, Pennsylvania case. It would be the first time in decades he's appeared in federal court. His last appearance apparently was 1992. And he joins the case as the current lead attorney and only one, Mark Scaringi, comes under scrutiny for radio commentary. Apparently, this guy is a Pennsylvania attorney who also moonlights as a conservative talk radio host. Oh, boy. Yeah. And not long after he had been added to the case, he's the one who asked for the extension. Uh, apparently, people found out on the radio sh- on his radio show, he told his audience, uh, quote, there would be in no bombshells that would derail a Biden presidency. He said at the end of my at the end of the day, in my view, the litigation will not work. Now, this guy is in charge of that litigation that will not work. And uh, one more before we get out and get to green news. The Pennsylvania Supreme Court today, in a separate case, rejected the Trump campaign's claim that Philadelphia violated state election law in the way it handled observers at a city ballot counting center. The Supreme Court said, no, they did just fine, and they followed all the laws. Observers from both parties were allowed to watch. They didn't get close enough, I guess, for Rudy Giuliani's taste But the court pointed out this is not an audit. They're just allowed to watch. The court's vote was five to two against the Trump campaign, which I believe puts the number of Trump losses in court to date at 25 out of 26 cases. 
Keep up the good work, guys. Green News Report is next. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com/donate. That's bradblog.com/donate. And thanks. Don't blame me for running so long. Blame Donald Trump for bringing all these stupid court cases. <laughs> Let's get to our latest Green News report. Nicaragua is taking another direct hit from a massive hurricane. Hurricane Iota, Yoda. the most powerful storm of 2020, hits Central America. Hurricanes pushing farther inland than ever before thanks to climate change. Trump White House rushes oil drilling in Alaska National Wildlife Refuge. Plus... We're all Americans. Let's get to work. President-elect Biden meets with business and labor to plan path forward on economy and climate. All of those stories and more straight ahead from bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. Be careful, America. If you let Trump do this, then voting could soon become one of those things that people do to feel better, but doesn't actually do anything. You know, like recycling plastic. Oh, snap. True? Yes and no. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, I know that Americans are calling it Hurricane Iota, but everywhere else in the world they're properly pronouncing it Hurricane Yoda. And if we have a hurricane named Yoda... I think that's what we should call it. <laughs> I agree. But hey, what are you going to do with Americans and pronouncing other languages? But unfortunately, Central America is facing a humanitarian disaster with the arrival of powerful Hurricane Iota. Iota rapidly intensified to a Category 5, the most powerful hurricane in the 2020 season, before hitting Nicaragua as a Category 4, striking nearly the exact same spot that Category 4 Hurricane Eta hit two weeks ago in one of the poorest regions of Nicaragua and Honduras. Hurricane Yoda. Now that said, it hit Nicaragua in the same place that Eta did. Does that mean it will also hit Florida? In the same place that ETA later did? Twice? No, it is on track to cut a swath across Central America heading west. Fueled by extremely warm ocean waters, Iota is a record breaker. It is the first ever 30th named storm since record keeping began in 1850. The average in a year is 12. It is the latest Category 5 ever recorded in a season and only the second time in 170 years that we've seen a Category 5 in the month of November. Also, for the first time ever, we have had a Category 5 hurricane in the Atlantic for five straight years in a row. Yoda. But does this mean this is the end of hurricane season? Hell no. Hurricane season officially ends November 30th, and the next storm, Kappa, may already be forming. Wow. A new study finds that man-made climate change is pushing hurricanes further inland than ever before. The researchers found that as ocean temperatures have increased in response to human-caused global warming, hurricanes are staying stronger, longer, even over land. In the late 1960s, a hurricane lost 75% of its intensity in the first day after landfall, but now storm intensity decays by less than half. A different study predicts that due to man-made climate 
climate change, massive so-called hundred-year storms could occur three times as often in the United States and be 20 percent more severe. The UCLA researchers project that if governments fail to cut rates of greenhouse gas emissions, catastrophic mega storms and floods that before would hit just once a century will likely occur nearly every decade. Mm, but still no Sharknadoes, right? That's totally fake. Yeah, that's totally fake. OK, good. But President-elect Joe Biden on Monday said upgrading our infrastructure to withstand accelerating climate impacts is a key component of his economic recovery. In a press conference after meeting with U.S. business and labor leaders, Biden said he was encouraged that they agreed with the necessity of ending the pandemic and rebuilding the economy. We talked about climate a lot. We can also modernize infrastructure, roads, bridges, ports, building more climate-resilient cities and towns. These are the kinds of investments that are going to strengthen our economy and our competitiveness, create millions of jobs, union jobs. However, in a late push to lock in drilling before the Biden administration takes over, the Trump administration on Monday said it will begin selling off leases to oil companies Mm. to drill in the Alaska National Wildlife Refuge, or ANWR, over the strong objections of Native American tribes living there. The Trump administration will let the companies pick their own spots. Mm. Lease sales are difficult but not impossible to reverse, and that would likely spark court battles. Environmental law group Earth Justice warned that oil companies could, quote, argue they deserve financial compensation if a Biden administration invalidates the leases. So those oil companies could profit either way from the last minute sale. Fine. Pay them to go away. We've got too much damn oil anyway. They don't need it. Just make them go away. But finally, some good news. The president of Shell Oil's U.S. division says the company will push the incoming Biden administration to reverse Trump's rollback of methane emissions rules and introduce carbon pricing, saying Trump's regulatory rollbacks haven't actually benefited the oil industry and that a price on carbon would help spur innovation. That's Shell Oil saying that? Yeah. Wow. For much more on all of these surprising stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. Thank you very much, Desi Doyen. Thanks to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's show, download this or any other anytime for free at bradblog.com. Thanks to those of you who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to help uh, keep our shows free and keep us on your public airwaves. Drop me email if you like. I'm Bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am the Brad Blog. That's it. We'll see you there. Until we see you here tomorrow, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Hey.